Well, good morning. He made it back without uh, taking a face plant this time. We're, we're making improvements. Well, it's good to be here this morning once again, and another beautiful day that we can enjoy. And I know uh, probably the, some of the farmers are uh, maybe rubbing the sleep out of their, their eyes still, but uh, I'm glad that you're all here this morning and uh, worship together and hear from God's Word. So would you bow with me, and let's seek the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you once again uh, this morning, and we want to just give you thanksgiving and praise for this beautiful weather that you've provided us with. Thank you, Lord, that in the, the life-giving rays of the sun, the crops are turning, and uh, Lord, we, we look forward to harvesting uh, a bountiful harvest, one uh, that uh, has been long awaited, and so Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, we, we pray that you would bless that harvest. We pray that you would bless those who are bringing it in with safety. And we ask, Lord, for your hand to be over all of that. Thank you, Lord, that even as we think of the physical harvest, you once again turn our hearts uh, repeatedly in your word to the harvest that is of the spiritual nature. And Lord, we are a part of that harvest. We have been uh, called uh, by your name. And you have sent us out as workers in your harvest field. And you have asked us to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, Father, as we have gathered here again this morning, we, we just acknowledge that we are your workers. And so, Lord, as your workers, we ask for your equipping, because we know we can't do any of this without you. We can't do any of it without your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we come before you just acknowledging our helplessness, that without you, we can do nothing. But with you, we can do great things. And so, Lord, we pray that you would... Uh, encourage us to that end again this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the many opportunities we have to this end uh, to be used by you. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we go about our days, you would increase our ability to see those opportunities, that we wouldn't just sleepwalk through our days uh, thinking that the only time something spiritual can happen is in church or at a Bible study, but that, Lord, there are spiritual moments uh, all around us where we can connect and be used by you but we have to be awake and alert to them. And so we just pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would wake us up. Uh, help us to see these opportunities all around us, Lord, to show your grace to others. Uh, we have so freely received this grace from you, and we have been given it to show to others. And so I pray that you would help us in that end, Lord. So now we pray that as we enter your word, uh, you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see. And we pray, Lord, that your grace would be made fresh to us once again today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today we are entering part four of our series in Unmerited Favor, the practice of grace. And I want to begin by sharing with you a story that I read about a man who really loved dogs. Now, this man loved dogs so much that he devoted his life to them. He read about them. He studied about them. He even gave talks about them to other dog lovers. And one day he decided to pour a new sidewalk in front of his house. Well, his neighbor was watching from the window as he smoothed out the last square foot of cement. But just then, a large dog appeared and walked right through the fresh cement, leaving large paw prints behind. Well, the man muttered something under his breath smoothed out the damages. He then went inside to get some twine so he could put up a fence around the sidewalk and hang a sign. 
But when he got back outside, he discovered some more dog tracks in his fresh cement. And once again, muttering under his breath, he smoothed out the cement and put up the fence and fixed the sign to it, wet cement. Well, he then went back into the house. Five minutes later, he looks out his window and he sees the same dog not only has walked through his fresh cement, but it's now sitting smack dab in the middle of his freshly poured sidewalk. Well, now he's really mad. And so he goes back out there, yells something at the dog, smooths out the cement one more time. And he goes back to sit on his porch. This time he's going to stand guard. Well, finally the dog reappeared once again. And this was the final straw. The man rushed inside his porch, reappeared with a gun in his hand, and shot the dog dead. The neighbor couldn't believe what he had seen. As he's looking out his window, he is in shock, not only that the man has shot this dog in broad daylight, but knowing that his neighbor was a dog lover. And so he rushes out the front of his house and yells out, Why? Why did you do that? I thought you loved dogs. And the man thought for a minute and finally said, I do. I do love dogs. But that's in the abstract. I hate dogs in the concrete. Some of you will appreciate that sort of humor more than others. <laughs> but that's similar to how many of us feel about our series topic that we've been working through these past months, this past month, on unmerited favor. We love to hear about grace when we are the ones receiving it, but we hate to hear about grace when we are the ones expected to give it to someone else. We love to receive but we hate to give. You see, the truth is this. Receiving unmerited favor, this is easy. We, we all love to be you know, forgiven and let off, you know, basically let off the hook. But showing unmerited favor, showing grace towards someone else, now that's entirely different. That is extremely hard to do. Now, to recap, for the last three sermons, we have examined grace primarily from the perspective of how God has shown his unmerited favor towards us. We have looked at, in the first part, the uh, installment where we looked at how God's grace is extremely and extravagantly unbiased and annoyingly unfair, at least to our fragile sensibilities. We were reminded in the story that when the employee who worked for one hour in the vineyard received the same wage as the employee who had worked for the entire day, the employee who had worked for the entire day was irate, feeling that his longer service, his more faithful duty to the master, would have earned him somehow more favor and therefore a greater reward. But the principle that Jesus taught in the story is that no matter how long or well one serves, or how short one serves, God's grace cannot be earned or merited. Therefore, the gift of salvation, his grace, is freely given just as freely to the 11th hour conversion of the thief on the cross as it is to the lifelong disciple. In part two, we learn that though God's grace is free, it is not cheap. The price for its purchase on our behalf was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to treat it like something trivial, 
like a commodity to be used and abused like free air at the service station. Well, this is to completely misunderstand what his grace was given for in the, in the first place. Grace was not given so that we could continue to live in sin. Grace was given so that we could break free from its grip and truly live. And last week in part three, we considered the question, what if God were not gracious? And we came to the startling conclusion that a perfectly holy, righteous, and just God could not put up with a world as broken and flawed as this one if you were not also a God of grace. And quite simply, if it were not for God's mercy and grace, you and I wouldn't even be here today to be talking about it. And so now today in our fourth installment, I want to turn the spotlight and and move it from what God has done showing His grace towards us. And I want to focus that spotlight squarely on what is expected of those who have received His grace. How does the, the recipient of this grace now behave, now live? I want you to consider this question. What is God's grace intended to do in the life of someone who has received it? What is it intended to do? And if you have already received God's unmerited favor in your own life, what difference is it making? How has it changed you? How is it changing you? Is it in any way, shape, or form influencing how you relate to and treat other people around you? And if so, how? Be be specific. How is this unmerited favor of God towards you being translated into how you relate to others? I want you to put that in your mind as we go through this sermon and, and ponder these questions as we continue into the text. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, and there we'll begin reading in verse 21. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, we read this that sets the stage for our entire narrative this morning. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I just love Simon Peter. Good old Simon Peter, he is always so uh, uh, just enthusiastic, energetic, gung-ho. He's the kind of guy that any youth leader is just going to love having in his group, but, you know, you got to put the reins on him once in a while. And he's the kind of guy in a Bible study, you know, discussion time that it's never going to be dull. You're never going to sit around and just look at each other because if it's quiet, Peter's talking, okay? This is the kind of guy that Peter was, and he was always the first guy to jump in. You know, he's the first guy out of the boat. He's the first guy to speak up. That's Simon Peter. And so here, we see Simon Peter begin this discussion by asking a question, and we don't know exactly what motivated him asking this question, but we do know that Jesus had spoken on this subject directly in his Sermon on the Mount earlier in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 7, in the Beatitudes, he had said this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So quite clearly, Peter has spent some time thinking about this radical concept of showing mercy, showing grace to people who don't deserve it. But of course, Peter couldn't just leave it at the conceptual level. Uh, Peter was a practical man who needed specifics. And so for Peter, having an exact number that would allow him to keep track of how many times he needed to show mercy, well, this would be extremely helpful. You know, he could pull out his notebook. Okay, there's one. 
Oh, there's two. So this way he could keep track. Peter was a numbers kind of a guy. In fact, in the account of John chapter 21, we read about one of the times that Jesus manufactured one of those incredible hauls of fish. In, in John chapter 21, we read that after having caught all of these fish, this miraculous haul, it was Peter who sat down and actually counted each squirming fish to report that they had caught 153. <laughs> Not bad for a day's work, right? You know, 153 fish, that's, that's a pretty good haul. And, you know, for a guy like me who, the moment I drop a hook in the water... You know, the fish come over to inspect the fish, and you can see them. Well, not in Clarny Lake, but... <laughs> I've actually seen fish in clear water come up to my hook, look at it, and swim away. Like, that, that's my prowess in, in fishing. But here we see that Peter is like, wow, we caught 153 fish. And so we can, we can just tell from this story and others that Peter cares about specific numbers. And I'm sure many of you are that way as well. And so here he wants to peg an actual number on how many times he is obligated to forgive someone. And so clearly by asking this question, we see in the tone of voice, in, in the way it's phrased, that Peter was thinking in the back of his mind that somehow he was going to be commended by Jesus for setting the bar so high. Think about this. Up to seven times? Listen, listen to the way he says that. How many? Up to seven times? And as he's asking this question, I can just imagine the other disciples behind him just rolling their eyes. and Just, there goes Peter again, you know. The, the teacher's pet, trying to suck up, trying to show off up to seven times. Yeah, right, Peter. We know you can't forgive someone seven times, but he's buttering it up. He's raising the bar seven times. Wow, Jesus must be impressed by that. Now, if to you, forgiving someone up to seven times doesn't seem that impressive, you need to remember the cultural context of Peter's day. Remember the norm for that day, the, the accepted standard was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Showing mercy was considered a sign of weakness. In fact, if someone showed mercy, they were very likely to be exploited upon again because they hadn't retaliated. Even the ultra-religious Pharisees taught that you only had to forgive someone up to a maximum of three times. The fourth time you were completely justified to retaliate, and yet you can then do whatever you saw was, was uh, adequate to get your vengeance. Fourth time, it was fair game. And so the Pharisees even took that to the next level and mistakenly taught that even God only forgave three times, and after that, all bets were off. But now we see Peter taking this high number that the Pharisees set at three times, he doubles that number, and then adds one for good measure, probably thinking, ah yes, seven, that's the perfect number, that's God's number, the number of completion. And to be honest, I want to say that forgiving someone up to seven times is very commendable. Most of us get frustrated if we have to forgive someone the second time for doing the same thing. By human standards, what Peter said was admirable and even extravagant. But Peter wanted a number, a limit, a place where he could finally say, that's it, you're not getting away with this anymore, you have pushed beyond the limits of my grace, and I am now justified in getting revenge. 
But Jesus' response blows Peter, and I'm sure the other disciples, completely out of the water. Verse 22. I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seven. The thud you just heard was Peter's jaw hitting the floor. Okay? Seventy times seven. What? He couldn't believe his ears. Uh, I'm pretty sure he, he, he got out his pocket calculator and he started to do the math, right? What do you come up with? 490. You didn't even need your calculators. That's because you've heard the story before, right? <laughs> 490 times. Some translations interpret Jesus' reply as 77 times. And just to clarify, that's, that's, it's, it appears to be a discrepancy, but the reason that some translations have 77 and some have 70 times 7 is simply because the nuances of the ancient Greek allows it to be translated either way and still be accurate. And so the context determines the translation. So different scholars have looked at the context and translated it differently. But for me, looking at the context, I believe that the completely over-the-top 70 times 7 drives the point home all the more. That this is an extravagant number beyond anyone's ability to comprehend. And so either way, whether it's 77 times or 490 times, the point is it's a big number. Far beyond anyone's ability to put into practice. Now, of course, Jesus isn't suggesting that we count the number of times we forgive someone. You know, 298, 299, 300, only 190 to go, and then I can get back at them. Yes. You know, it's not like that. It's like the man who asked his wife to once again forgive him. Imagine that, husbands. He asked his wife to once again forgive him, and he reminded her that Jesus wanted to forgive wanted us to forgive up to 490 times, to which she replied with a laugh, Listen, buddy, you're way over 500, but I'll forgive you anyways. You know, what 70 times 7 actually means is that there is no limit to the number of times we are to forgive someone. Actually, if you were to count, by the time you reached 490, I would suggest that you would probably already be in the habit of continual and unlimited forgiveness. And that is precisely the point that Jesus is making. You don't keep score when it comes to showing grace. There's not a scoreboard. There's, there's, there's not this number that we peg on how much, uh, how much grace we are allowed to give or expected to give. And throughout Scripture, we see that grace and forgiveness are inseparably linked. They are like the sun and the heat. The one necessitates the other. And just as the world would have no heat without the rays of the sun, there could be no forgiveness without grace. And in verse 23, even as Peter is trying to wrap his mind around this staggering number, Jesus launches into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And here, allow me to retell this story with a slightly modern twist. Fred was a farmer. Not a wealthy farmer by any means, but he worked hard and managed to provide for his family. He was a family man and did his best to get to his kids' sports events when he had time. 
He tried to get them to church every Sunday, and he put his 10% tithe in the offering plate. Fred was, by all standards, a good guy. However, like any farmer, he was not without his debt. In fact, he had to take out a substantial loan from the Farm Credit Corporation to expand his farm and buy his last section of land. No risk, no reward, he would always say. But from that point on, all he experienced was the risk without the reward. One bad crop year after another began to take their toll. The first couple of years it was flood, then it was drought, and another year it was bugs. So with each subsequent harvest, he sank deeper and deeper into debt. Of course, other farmers were struggling as well, one of them being Fred's next-door neighbor, who somehow managed to scrape out an existence for himself and his family with only a half-section of land and a small amount of livestock. He had very little machinery, and what he did have was old and run down. Sometimes Fred would actually feel sorry for him, so he would loan him one of his combines to use once he had finished his own harvest, with the agreement being that the neighbor would pay for any breakdowns that should occur while he was using it. Well, when Fred would do this, he would feel good about himself, thinking about how generous he was being with his neighbor. Now finally, however... One bad year after another, things were getting to the point that they were beginning to look up. And August rolled around, and even the most pessimistic of farmers could tell that this was going to be the year. A bumper crop. Fred's thoughts began to go to how he was finally going to be able to make some payments and get those creditors off his back. But then his worst nightmare happened. Hail. His crops were pounded into the earth to the point that it looked like someone had cultivated the field. There was a 100% write-off. But the worst of it was, he had purchased no hail insurance that year. He quite simply couldn't afford it, and he had gambled on not needing it. The loss of this crop was the final straw. Crunching the numbers, Fred came to the realization that he would not be able to pay his bills or even pay the interest on his loans. The only course of action he had left was to declare bankruptcy and lose the farm. The day came, finally, that his application was brought before the Farm Debt Review Board. With dread, he awaited their verdict and expected to hear that his farm and assets were to be foreclosed on and taken from him immediately. But finally, the verdict came, and with dread in his heart, he heard these words. Having reviewed your case and examined your situation closely, the panel has hereby decided to forgive all your debts, including the principal loans, interest, and all penalties. Your farm is free and clear. The only sound that could be heard was once again Fred's jaw hitting the floor. He simply couldn't believe it. Free and clear. He was forgiven all of his debt, all of the years of accumulated penalties and back interest. and the, uh, He couldn't believe that he was finally, finally going to be able to farm without this choking worry of creditors coming, taking his, taking his farm, taking his machinery, taking his home. And so here, with this tremendous weight lifted off of his shoulders... He was on cloud nine. He floated out the front of that building and down the steps. He was, if he was capable of it, he would have jumped up into the air and clicked his heels twice. He was so happy. He was going to rush home and tell his wife the good news 
And as he walked out into the sidewalk, there parked by the curb was his neighbor, sitting in his old dilapidated rust bucket of a truck. The neighbor waved for him to come over, so Fred went over and leaned against the open window. Slowly, the neighbor informed Fred that the combine he had borrowed from him had had a breakdown and that he didn't have the money to pay for the repair just then. What do you mean you can't pay for it? Fred snapped. Our agreement was that you use my combine on the condition that you pay for any breakdowns that happen while you are using it. Well, please, just just give me a little more time, the neighbor stammered. Give me a chance to sell some of my grain this fall and I'll, I'll pay back every last cent. You know I'm good for it. Angrily, Fred reached through the open window of the truck and grabbed the guy by the front of his shirt. You'll pay back every last cent right now, or I'll take you to court. Well, it just so happened that one of the members of the debt review board had also been leaving the building behind Fred and had witnessed the entire exchange. And sick to his stomach, he turned around and went back inside. Has the paperwork for Fred's debt cancellation been finalized yet? No? Then revoke it. We're going to make him pay back every last cent right now. Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, Jesus concluded his parable with, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You see, in God's economy, the forgiven must forgive. Those who have received mercy must show mercy. And those who have freely received God's extravagant, abundant grace must also freely give grace to others. Forget seven times. Forget 77 times. Forget 490 times. I know that I am far beyond the 490 number of having fallen short of the glory of God. Having fallen short of God's perfect standard for my life, I am so far beyond 490 that I don't even want to think about it. But I can tell you this much. I know and believe that God's grace is sufficient for me. And just as God's grace is all-sufficient and limitless towards us, so too we are called to extend limitless grace towards others. And here's the catch. If we don't, if we don't, if we refuse to follow God's example in showing grace towards us and then showing it towards others, Jesus' teaching makes it very clear that we are heaping God's judgment on our own heads. He said this in his Sermon on the Mount, For in the way, the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Simon Peter, Peter, are you getting this yet? Do you understand? There is no mathematical formula for grace. No number, no limit. It is beyond our capabilities to fully comprehend because it extends from the very essence of who God is. And who can understand God? But even though we can't completely understand God, nor truly appreciate His grace and what it does for us, 
One thing that I hope we can all understand and appreciate is this. If you're sitting there today and you have received the mercy of God in your life, if you're sitting there today and you have received extravagant mercy, then show mercy to others. If you're sitting there today and Jesus Christ has forgiven you the entirety of every last one of your sins, both past, present, and future, then forgive others their comparatively trivial and small sins against you. And if the Holy Spirit has showered you with his unmerited favor by living in you, making your your body his temple, and he has filled you with the peace that passes, surpasses all understanding. He has given you the assurance of eternal life and salvation. And he has showered you with love, joy, and peace. And then gone on to empower you to live a life that is pleasing to God and truly free. If that is you and the Holy Spirit of God has anointed you with his presence, then what is the very least that we can do in return. As the psalmist said, how can I repay the Lord for all of his goodness to me? How can I repay him? Well, if you ponder that question for very long, you'll come to the conclusion, the same one that I did. You can't. It is impossible. We could never, in a million, ten million, a hundred million years, repay God for the extravagant mercy the grace that he has showered upon us. But think about this. If you want to be like God, if you want to be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then act like him. It's really that simple, right? If we want to be like God, then we have to behave like God, act like God, think like God, speak like God. We need to start going out of our way to actively seek out people who are in need of his mercy and grace. Because in doing so, we are being like the God who went out of his way to seek and to save sinners like you and me while we were still enemies of his. He went out of his way to find us. And so, we too, if we want to be like him, must go out of our way to find people who are in need of it. We need to go out of our way to find people who don't don't deserve it. We need to find people who haven't even asked for it. And then find ways to demonstrate God's mercy and grace to them in practical ways. Think about this. When is the last time that you acted like your heavenly dad? You acted like him as he has behaved towards you in your life and gave someone grace instead of criticism. Better yet, when is the last time you went out of your way to show grace, unmerited favor to someone in a practical way? Whether in a word or in an action, towards someone who hasn't asked for it, let alone deserved it. Because remember, it's unmerited. That means it's undeserved, just as we received undeserved grace from God. It's not a matter of merit. It's a matter of need. Who needs mercy? Who needs grace? (laughs) Pick me. I do. And I think you do, and you do, and you do, and the people out there do as well, right? Everyone needs God's mercy and grace, and not one of us deserve it. 
It's not about merit. That's why it is unmerited favor. Now, if we want to be like our Heavenly Dad, we need to show grace to others. And this can't just be a one-time event. This can't just be a counting one to seven sort of a thing. I've shown grace seven times. No, no, no. Jesus is getting at the heart of it. It it must be a way of thinking. It must be a way of life. A way of practice. So, I want you right now to do something very practical. In front of you, there should be encouragement cards in in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have one of those, you can grab your bulletin. But have something to write something down on. And what I'm going to ask you to do is some homework. <laughs> and I want to just twist that a little bit. I know that everyone cringed, right? Homework. But think about it in a different way than just, oh, I've got to do something. Think about this. If what you hear in church on Sunday morning doesn't work at home, then what's the point? Homework. It has to work at home. It has to work in our 9 to 5. It has to work in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships. It just has to work. Because if it doesn't work at home, what are we doing here every week? It has to work. So here's a way for us to think about engaging in this outside of church. Take an encouragement card in front of you and think of one practical way, one specific way that you can show unmerited favor towards someone else in a specific way, in a tangible way, this week. Okay, I'm going to give you a minute to think about this. It has to be something that you can actually do in a specific way. And then I want you to write it down. And if you have a pen on you, jot it down and feel free to show unmerited favor towards others and passing the pen along too, okay? But that can't be your thing for this week, all right? It has to be something beyond that. All right, so are are we game? We're going to give this a try? Okay. Now think about this, and I want to share with you this final story. Jim Daly, the president of Focus on the Family, He shared the true story of Ryan Willard and Dwayne Fields, two West Virginia law enforcement officers. They had responded to a typical shoplifting call, and I think their story might just inspire you. According to a report from the Charleston Daily Mail, Willard and Fields arrived at a local Kmart to look into allegations that a young woman had tried to shoplift from the store. What they found in the small back room where she was being detained went beyond the cold, hard facts of the case. There they found a young mom with her two small daughters with her. She was accused of stealing diapers, rash cream, and some small clothing for her girls. She didn't take anything to benefit herself, said Officer Willard. It turns out the woman is going through a divorce and trying to make do without her soon-to-be ex-husband's help, who wasn't making child payments. The policemen could have simply gone through their work routine, filed the case, and they would have been right to do so. Instead, after fulfilling their job duties, the two men went to the checkout till and purchased all of the items that she had attempted to shoplift. They said they just wanted to help. Officer Fields is quoted as being inspired to this good deed in part out of his desire to live a good Christian life and help people when they needed help. And that young mom certainly needed help. She was overwhelmed by the difficulties of her situation. I can't imagine what went through her heart and mind as these officers gave her some practical help, but even more, the grace that she so desperately needed. 
We know there are times for tough love and hard lessons, but there's also a time for grace. Extravagant grace. Grace without merit. Grace undeserved. There is a time to extend grace. And the trick comes in knowing the difference between the time for grace and the time for a lesson to be learned, and sometimes they can be one and the same. But we can trust that the Holy Spirit will grant us his discernment. And we have to be willing, like these two officers, to step outside of our daily routine and go out of our way for someone else. Instead of just looking at life as a legalist, with your notepad out and a scorebook, how much more challenging, but how much more beautiful is it to go through our life and our days thinking, how can I bless someone today? How can I show grace to someone in this situation? And I will tell you that if you learn and begin to cultivate this type of, this type of thinking to every situation in life, it's going to revolutionize how you live. Because when you face a challenge at work, or when you face a challenging situation or a conflict, instead of asking, how can I be vindicated? How can I have my voice heard? How can I have them see the error of their ways so they hear my voice in this? We instead begin to think, how can I show grace in this situation? Wow, a paradigm shift. It's a game changer. If we want to be like God, then we have to learn to think this way and act this way. So now, what have you thought of? What are you going to write down today? What are you going to do this week to show God's unmerited favor to someone in your life in a practical way, all right? Now, no excuses, okay? If you're going to do this, then do it. I'm not going to check up on you because I can't or I would, but, you know, I might check up on some of you just to put the fear out there. <laughs> All right, but this is between you and God. You know, so often we hear messages, we say, yeah, 100%, way to go, that's God's word, I agree. But we just go into our day and we don't even think about how are we engaging this truth? How are we doing homework? Is it working at home? We need to get practical with our faith or nothing will ever really change. We'll be these squeaky, whitewashed Christians, you know, going through the motions, but how much of a life changer are we being to the people around us? Because that's what we're called to be. Life changers. World changers. Yes, you. A world changer. Because you have been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Go out. Show mercy. Show grace in practical ways. Start with one this week. Whatever it is, between you and God, so take it seriously. Don't put it off. Don't make excuses. If you're going to do it, then do it. Don't put it off. I'm going to leave you with that challenge. And I would invite you to right now, if you are committing to this, and you're gonna, going to take this challenge, whatever God has laid on your heart, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in a commitment that you're going to follow through on this. Because not only is it between you and God, but we are in fellowship, in community, and we do these things together. And so, I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, if you're committing to doing this challenge, then I'm going to invite you to stand up. Sound, sound simple? All right. One, two, three. I always love how peer pressure works. You know, you see someone standing next to you, and that's like, oh, I guess I'm going to stand. All right, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have showered us with your unmerited favor. Not because we deserved it, not because we'd earned it, but because you are love. Grace pours out of the essence of who you are, and you have called us to be like you. And not only have you called us to be like you, you have called us to act like you, to speak like you. An impossible job if you did not then give us your Holy Spirit to give us the ability to do this. What a gift. And so, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit, we can commit to nothing. Without the power of your Holy Spirit, we can commit to nothing. And yet, with your Holy Spirit, we can not only commit to this one thing this week that you have laid on a heart, but, Lord, we can commit to the rest of our lives, knowing that you will give us your power and your grace and mercy, your equipping to show mercy and grace to others around us who desperately need it. Thank you, Lord. That as we go out, you will advance your kingdom, and you will change lives according to your will. And so we ask that you would do this. Bless each one here today. Give them the courage to follow through on what you've laid on their hearts. And I pray, Lord, that as they do it, they would experience a freedom and a liberty to show grace and mercy to someone who didn't ask for it, who didn't seek it out, but you just showed it just because they want to be like you. And so I pray, Lord, you would give them joy in this. Grant them the courage to follow through. In Jesus' name, for your sake. Amen. You may be seated.